This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of March 13, 2017, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 420 of Defender Radio. Raccoons are the enemy, and green bins are the battlefield. At least, that's how some Torontonians view an ongoing saga between themselves and their furry neighbors that so successfully live in Canada's largest city. Attitudes about raccoons in the greater Toronto area are split surprisingly evenly, but due to their problem-solving skills, the sneaky fur bears do make it into the news and even political discourse regularly. And that's where Dr. Suzanne McDonald gets involved. Dr. McDonald, a professor of psychology and biology at York University, helped the city test which new green bin designs would best prevent raccoons from enjoying a feast. And now, she's trying to determine if these new bins will help the city's raccoons shed a few pounds, and potentially have smaller litters. This week, Dr. McDonald joined us to discuss her fascinating hypotheses on raccoon learning and their potential evolution, as well as how she tests their problem-solving skills and some practical advice on preventing conflict. I, I, I was really interested in this article in the Globe and Mail that you, uh, this interview you gave, along with a little video about the work you're doing right now of, and it looks weird at first, but it makes sense, measuring dead raccoons. Um, and I think, though, the start, is there, and this, this is the question, is there a, a quote-unquote raccoon problem in Toronto, as we're so often told there is? Well, I think that's the question I'm interested in, is, is there a raccoon problem? Because, um if you remember our previous mayor in the city of Toronto certainly thought there was a <laughs> raccoon problem. Um, and John Tory has actually declared war on yeah. raccoons. So apparently we do have a problem, but we certainly have a lot of raccoons. Um, so I did a survey uh, last year um, of Toronto's or GTA residents attitudes towards raccoons to find out whether people think we have a problem or is it just a few people who think we have a problem. And I got responses from about 1800 people and about 900 people thought we had a problem, and about 900 people thought we didn't have a problem. Perfect. And the people who thought we had a problem, the number one predictor of why they thought that is if they had experienced damage due to raccoons. So mm. I think it's all very subjective, right? If raccoons, you see them and you say, oh, aren't they cute and they don't do any damage, then you go, oh, this is awesome. And um, if you see them in your attic and they've cost you $1,000 and you say, wow, we have a huge problem here in, in the city. So um, I think that's why we're so divided. And uh, I find that really interesting, which is why I'm I'm continuing to do research with them because I find them super interesting. Well, they are fascinating little critters. Uh, and I don't think anyone can argue that raccoons in Toronto are highly successful um, in terms of population and uh, um, scavenging skills. What has led to them being so successful? I mean, in Hamilton, um, and as our listeners may or may not know, Hamilton is around the bend from Toronto. Uh, we're sort of the, the western major city. And we are very similar, just smaller. And I don't think there is any indication that we have nearly as many raccoons. Or even, you could argue, sort of that same density level of raccoons. Um, they're just not as many here. So what is it about Toronto that makes raccoons so successful? Well, first of all, I don't know if Hamilton has a lower density. I think you may think you do. And certainly I found by putting um, infrared cameras in people's backyards who told me, oh, you can do that, but I don't have any back there. And then I show them the video of 
50 or so raccoons in the middle of the night. Um, it can They can be very surprising. They're quiet, and the ones that aren't necessarily in the downtown core that are really habituated to people, you would never know they're there. So I suspect Hamilton has a lot. I'm not a fan of this whole debunking what I say with facts, Professor. <laughs> I'm so sorry. In this alternative fact world, <laughs> I'm just going to go, yes, you're right. So Hamilton has no raccoons, <laughs> and Toronto has a whole bunch of raccoons. Isn't that interesting? I, I guess that is very much the point, though, isn't it? That <laughs> in some of these core Toronto regions, you very much just see them yep, a lot you more. You do. And that, I think, is the key. So when I say I don't know if Hamilton has any, I, I don't know. And that's the key. I don't want to talk. I don't want to say the density is lower in Hamilton when I don't know, um, because, you know, I'm a pesky scientist that way. But um, <laughs> I will say the ones in the city of Toronto, as those of us who see them uh, know, are very habituated, very used to humans. And so you do see them. And when they see you, they don't run away. Whereas a normal raccoon, and when I say normal, I mean like a rural raccoon that lives as raccoons evolve, um, a normal raccoon would run away. The city ones just kind of look at you and go, uh-huh, and do you have any food for me? And sometimes they come at you, which is dis disturbing for people who aren't familiar with raccoons. So I think the number one reason is one word. It's garbage. I mean, Toronto has a lot of garbage, has a lot of backyards, has a lot of people, has a lot of restaurants, has a lot of dumpsters, has a lot of everything. And uh, that has this supported this giant population or dense population of raccoons. And if you notice, not only are we blessed with a lot of raccoons, we are also blessed with exceedingly fat raccoons. So you see the ones in Toronto, they look a lot different than ones I have studied out in the country, who are much smaller and shy, obviously, but they don't have these giant rear ends like the ones in Toronto, because the ones in Toronto are eating high-fat food, which is not something that they would make their whole diet of if they weren't living in our garbage. Well, and raccoons are naturally omnivores, but listed as carnivores in many instances, aren't they? Yes, and that's, I think, another reason why they're interesting. So, you know, cats and dogs are carnivores, and they eat meat, surprisingly enough, being carnivores. Um, but raccoons, they are omnivores, which an omnivorous carnivore is a, is a weirdo thing. Um, and that means they can eat everything and they do eat everything. So that makes them perfectly suited for the city. So, you know, we have coyotes in the cities as well. They come along the outskirts and they'll come through the ravines and, you know, you hear reports of them taking small pets and whatever they're, they got to eat, but, um, they don't eat everything, but raccoons can get in to anything. They'll sit very happily and munch on a box of cereal if you have it because they like that. They'll eat. If I have leftover cookies that I've burned horribly, I put them out for the squirrels and the raccoons eat those too. They'll eat whatever you got, whatever is available, they'll eat that. And that makes them perfectly suited for the city. And if you also notice, that makes them a lot like us because we're omnivorous mm -hmm. as well and we eat everything. <laughs> well, and it's, it's interesting that you mentioned coyotes because I have heard um, some biologists describe the the coyote, North American coyote, as uh, the most adaptable animal on the planet. When you look at just the, the, the surge of population across various landscapes, the, the ongoing ability to adapt uh, in the face of persecution, um, and we're seeing you know fascinating studies coming out about how their population rebounds from even like a 70% cull. Um, within two years, it's now exceeding that population in these areas. So it's it's really interesting, but I, I would almost think that raccoons are 
superior in that way because they do. They just sort of, they seem to be quite happy wherever they are. Yeah, I would I would certainly put the raccoons, I mean, it's not a contest and it's not on, <laughs> not on Team Raccoon or anything. Well, I kind of am, but I would put... That's the name of this that. episode now. Team, team raccoon. raccoon, yeah, I think it yeah. should be. Right. Anyway, on Team Raccoon, we would point out that yes, uh, coyotes may have done well, which is, yay, great for the coyotes, but um, they are limiting their... Um, raccoons can live in very close proximity to humans. So, you know, they can live in your attic, they can live in your garage, they can live under the deck, they can live in the trees, they can live in all of those places, in fact, and they do. Um, whereas coyotes don't do that. So um, I think raccoons are not very well studied. And every time somebody asks me a fact, I go, yeah, I have no idea. Because it's really hard to study raccoons because they move around, they work at night, um, and they're up trees and under decks and in places that we can't see them, which makes them incredibly successful. It's kind of easy to see a coyote. They're big, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and they're scary. And raccoons. And that's, <laughs> that is something. And that came up in a couple of instances. And I, th- this, again, with your, your academic background, I, I am sure you have a fascinating look at this. Um, a few years ago in Toronto, a, a new Canadian um, attacked a raccoon with a shovel. Do you remember that story? Oh, yes. I remember that. Yeah. And... For me, growing up in the GTA, raccoons are just, they're there. I, I, I see a raccoon the same way I see a bicycle. Uh, it's just there. Mm-hmm. What is, like, is there some kind of strange fascination that some of us have with raccoons? Or, like, I, I look at, and I, I can't understand why someone would be afraid of these little guys. Well, that's a good point. I, I don't know either. But I think that if you're not familiar with them and you're, you're just watching them in your backyard. I think this fellow in particular, he he actually believed the raccoons were persecuting him. So he thought that they, you know, they would come, you know, raccoons can be annoying. They come, you plant something, you wait for it to grow like a some corn or whatever in your backyard. You're so, this happened to me personally. I was so pleased. I grew my first thing, you know, in a garden and the corn was there. And the day before I was going to pick it, I would go out every day lovingly and see how close it was to being ripe. And the day before I was going to pick it, I was so pleased. And I came out the day I was going to pick it and the raccoons had taken it. Okay. So I think what I see, and certainly in that survey I did, people who wrote me stories often wrote about how the raccoons were persecuting them, that they were doing this on purpose, that they were evil that they were geniuses, that they were trying to drive people crazy. And so I think you look in that little masked face, and if you don't quite understand what a raccoon is, you might think, you know, as they look at you and destroy your property, which is what they often do, you know, they'll sit there as they rip your roof off and look at you. Um, It looks like they're doing it on purpose. And so I I think there is a little bit of that sort of... um, that they can't, people can't take it anymore. And I think that's what happened to that guy. I want, I'd like to think that anyway, obviously it's appalling that somebody would do that to an animal, but I I have to think that he got pushed to the point of no return because he was actually, he was actually um, shoveling a a baby, you know, that, that is uh, unfathomable, but you have to give people the benefit of the doubt that something pushed him to that. And it is certainly something in Toronto, again, as you've pointed out, you know, in your survey, half the people are frustrated with them, half the people seem to have no problem with them. Um, and I think one of the reasons that we do get so frustrated is there's no easy answer to this problem. Exactly. Because right, right now, if you call the city and say, hey, there's a raccoon in my backyard, they say, good for you. <laughs> yeah, there's a raccoon in their backyard, too. So, but, yeah. Um, so it's, it, I think that leads nicely into the green bin conversation now, um, which I, I'm pretty sure most, most, 
places across the country now who have a green bin type program, which is food waste or organic waste, I guess is the technical phrasing. Um, and one of the big fights in Toronto, um, particularly I would think in the areas where people do not have locking garages, is that the raccoons get into the garbage. Um, and as you said, that's very much one of their primary resources. So let's. how did you get involved with this project? Maybe start there. Oh, it's a long, boring story. I'll try to make it not so long nor boring. Um, when the, the city needed to replace the green bins, they were at the end of their 10-year cycle, apparently. I learned more about green bins than I had ever known before. Um, <laughs> and so they were putting out calls for, like, requests for proposal, like RFP things for companies to put forward a new prototype. And a company from LA, I think, called me and said, would you come out and talk to us about raccoons? I'm like, sure. So I drove to Mississauga and talked to them about raccoons and said, this is what they can do, this is what they can't do. And then I went home. And um, then a couple years later, the city said, uh, we have some prototypes for the new green bins. Um, would you be interested in testing them out in your backyard? I'm like, absolutely, sure. I got the cameras. Bring them on over. I'll go get some chicken and we'll we'll do it. And one of the prototypes was actually from the company I had talked to, <laughs> um, which was really cool. So I got to see it like a couple of years later. And all three of the prototypes were really good. They had figured out a way to outsmart the raccoons, not mentally, because it's hard to outsmart a raccoon, but physically. So they all made their prototypes such that the raccoons couldn't knock them over because the number one plan of attack for a raccoon, if they can't get into something easily, is to knock it over. So all three of those prototypes did that. Um, so I put them in my backyard and put my cameras up. And um, after a week of raccoons trying mightily to get into these bins, they didn't get into any of the bins. So all three prototypes passed the test. But one of them was way easier for people. So I noticed it myself because I had to put, you know, I put food in for the animals and one was really easy and the other two were hard. So I wrote my little report. I volunteered, by the way. Everyone's like, ooh, did they pay you? No, nobody pays anybody. <laughs> um, so I wrote my little report saying, you know, they're all good. No raccoon got in any of them, but this one I like better and they did usability tests or whatever and everybody liked that one better because it was easier. Um, and that turned out to be the one from the guys from LA. So, you know, good on them. So that is the one that is being rolled out across the city. And everyone says, oh, the raccoons will figure out how to get into it someday. And I say, well, unless they're going to grow to be six feet tall and can hold a can completely upside down because it works by gravity, um, then I don't think so. So, you know, this is a challenge to raccoons out there. If you can figure it out, go for it. But it is, as far as I can see, pretty raccoon resistant. So we are now having these new green bins rolled out slowly across the GTA. I don't live in Toronto. I live in Markham and we have different bins. We have the old bins and there's no big problem with those bins, but I know the city of Toronto had a lot of problems and uh, this one, I think, will do the job. It's it's a very interesting concept and I was actually wondering what principle it would work on and I, that gravity makes sense because they do come along with the truck and just sort of they do. put it next it's to the an truck. Awesome and, truck. Yeah. Have you seen the truck? No, no. Oh, it's an awesome truck. So I went the first day when they rolled them out. They had John Tory um, on a garbage truck. So he just hopped on and then he went down the street as they took all the green bins and it was hilarious photo op. But um, good for him. Anyway, the truck is amazing. So it comes out with these. Again, I'm in Markham. Our trucks don't look like that. They just look like trucks. But this truck has like these arms that come out and they pick the green bin up and they 
physically dump it upside down. And as soon as you dump it upside down, the lid opens. So it's an extraordinary feat of engineering. It's really cool. So as long as people are locking it properly, um, then it should work. That, of course, is a big if because people sometimes don't lock it properly and then the raccoons will get in and everyone will say, oh, see, they're not raccoon resistant. But if they're locked properly, they should work. So I have put cameras up when it first, they first got rolled out last summer. I had my cameras up in Scarborough where the first neighborhoods were um, getting their bins. And I put my um, infrared motion capture cameras out at night on streets with that had the old bins uh, which were adjacent, directly adjacent to the streets with the new bins so that I could see what the raccoons did. And what the raccoons did was amazing. So they would go to the new bins, they'd give it like a minute and go, yeah. Mm. And then they just walk with a disgusted look on their face to the old bins and knock them over and fling things everywhere. I think it was with particular glee because they had, you know, they found their old bins. But um, they certainly were not able to get into the new bins and they didn't, they just stopped trying. And I think that's what's going to happen is they'll just realize they can't get in and they're going to put their efforts elsewhere. A lot of people that I talk with um, in the animal loving sort of community, uh, people want to help feed animals. Um, and this, I think this is where I, I'm interested to see if this impacts it at all. But the number of people I talk with who think they need to help an animal get food um, and not necessarily realizing that if there's no food, an animal will move on. Um, like they're not going to hang out. And that's why we say don't feed the animals. But um, do you think that this will have any kind of negative uh, public relations sort of aspect to it in that you're you're not allowing the raccoons to feast? I'm hoping not. I think it's actually the perfect thing. Uh, I think as a as a mitigation strategy, it's perfect because all you're doing is keeping what you didn't want them to have in the first place out of their hands. So, you know, the, you didn't want them in your garbage to begin, to begin with. Now you're not going to have them in your garbage. And I can tell you because I, you know, I was out at night watching people put their garbage out in an exceedingly creepy fashion, hiding behind <laughs> power poles and things. And I can tell you, people put their garbage out. They don't think about it again. They just don't want yeah. in the morning when they go out to see it strewn all over the um, street. So I, I think that most people will be just delighted that their garbage is not, you know, upended and all over the street. And I don't think most people think about it beyond that. And the thing is, raccoons can't be only using your green bins as their source of food because you only put them out once a week. So, you know, at most, it's like 10 to 15% of their total food. They may get a lot in that one night, but they're not using that the rest of the nights. So this is just more of a way to keep them, in my mind, it's to keep them from being so fat. And that is a really good thing. And that's why I'm measuring the dead raccoons. Yeah, and measuring dead raccoons. So I saw the picture and I thought, oh, gee, what's this lady going to make me do now? Um, <laughs> assuming you were doing something horrible to raccoons from the picture. Oh, God, no. <laughs> uh, but, and, and we'll, we will start. These are raccoons who met untimely ends with cars um, in Toronto, which is a very, very common thing so yeah, we, you're not going out and hunting raccoons oh god um, no i'm the biggest animal lover there is <laughs> i i'm one of those people who would feed them constantly and have them all living in my house and become some crazy person so no i would never <laughs> ever hurt a raccoon i think they're awesome yes so no unfortunately as you know they do get schmucked by cars and that is the number you know they have no predators in the city their only predators are car so um, when they die, these untimely deaths, 
people call uh, Toronto Animal Services and they come with their little trucks and they take the carcasses away, the poor little things. You remember, I think a couple summers ago, there was Conrad the raccoon. Remember that one? Yeah, the one the, who uh, escaped inside. No, no, Conrad was unfortunately hit by a car and was um, sitting on the sidewalk and someone oh, called yes, yes, to have yes. him and they didn't come. So they made a little <laughs> memorial for Conrad. Yeah. It was I was actually in Africa at the time and I saw it online and thought, oh, the city's lost its mind while I'm away. But anyway, <laughs> um, it was a weird moment. I remember yeah. that very well. Um, so when Toronto Animal Services come, they know where the call comes from. And they get many, many, many calls, and they come and they take the carcass and they bring it back to, to Toronto Animal Services, and they can be, uh, you know, you, it, well, they're dead, so they can be incinerated. Um, so I just called them and asked them, before you do that, could I measure them so we can get some data on raccoons? Because we don't really know, you know, we think our raccoons are big, and we think we know what raccoons look like, but we don't really have very much data from measuring them because it's pretty hard to do, certainly with a live raccoon. So they said, sure. So I go a few times a year and this is a long-term project. I'm trying to get baseline data on what raccoons are like during the different times of year. You know, are they thinner in the winter? Yes. Um, then in the summer? Yes. Um, how much do they weigh? What's the average weight of a male or a female or a juvenile and how, how tall are they? So how, you know, What's their height? And we don't really know these basic things. Um, and I'm going to continue to do that as the raccoon, as the bin, the raccoon-proof bins are rolled out, to see if we are going to get thinner raccoons. Because if they were depending on those bins for their food, and those bins are no longer available, they should get thinner. So this, I don't know how it's going to turn out. I have no idea. They might not get thinner, which means they found other sources of food, or they might get thinner, which would be great. The reason I want them to be thinner is because if they're thinner, the females in particular, they'll have smaller litter sizes, so they'll have fewer babies, and that means we will have less of a raccoon problem because there won't be the high densities there have been. One of the things that really surprises me is what you said in that we don't know how big the raccoons are or should be. And and when I look at that, I mean, I think about coyotes, uh, which where I spend a lot of my time uh, as a writer, and when I was a full-time journalist, I spent a lot of time on them. And the amount of information available is is incredible. But with raccoons, it really does seem like, you know, if you try and figure out how big is an average raccoon, there, there's not a nice median number. It's, it's sort of a huge range. No, there's Wikipedia. Yeah, you go on Wikipedia and go, oh, well, normally, I guess they're this. But those data come from... Um, not from urban animals. So I want to see, are the urban animals bigger? So the next phase is going to have to be get roadkill in the rural areas and just see what, you know, and sadly when you drive, you see a lot of dead raccoons. And if I can measure them, the reason I'm using roadkill, in case you're wondering, is because um, I want healthy animals. So, you know, you don't want animals that have disease that have died of natural causes or whatever because they may not represent be representative of a healthy animal. So the ones that are being hit are the only ones I measure are the ones that are clearly fear, free of disease, have no parasites that are obvious. Their teeth are good. Everything else is good. They just sadly met their end um, with a car because I want to get a good representative sample. When speaking about the difference between rural and urban, uh, you note in this interview with the Globe and Mail that 80, was it the urban raccoons were more curious and 80% of them figured out a harder task yep. than the rural raccoons were able to. Yep. 
What 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 do you think has caused that? Well, I think this this is my hypothesis, and it remains to be tested. But I am trying to um, is that the urban environment causes the evolution of little brains, as it should. I think um, you know we are selecting for smarter raccoons, basically. So raccoons that can figure out how to live with us and figure out how to get into places that we want to keep them out of um, will have more babies and pass on those smart little traits to their babies and so on and so on and over generations. I mean, raccoons have been in Toronto for at least 100 years. Um, you're going to see a, a divergence in the population between those in the city and those in the country. It's not like they interbreed. They never interbreed. The ones in the city are in their small little territories. They live, they die in those little territories. They never it's not like they get on the train and go out to the city on the week, uh, the country on the weekends. They are always <laughs> in the city. So we have a, we have a situation here that could result in evolution. And so this summer, I'm going to test urban and rural infant raccoons to find out what they come into the world knowing. Because it's never, you never know, if you see differences between city animals and country animals, you never know if it's because the city ones had more experience and they're, you know, less afraid and whatever, or if there's actually differences in them. So that's what's going to happen this summer. And that's that's where... Um you would measure behaviors of the, the, the juveniles. And I guess in my mind, I think of the way like a dog instinctually knows to grab and shake something. Yep. It's So you're looking for similar kind of traits. Yes, yeah, so I'm looking for problem solving. So um, it's it's really fun. The, the animals like it because you give them basically little garbage cans and say, here, go to it and see what you just can just put a video camera on them and they do it if they want to, if they don't, they don't, um, and see how they try to get in. So the um, city animals are much more persistent. They'll persist on a problem for hours and hours and hours, um, and they try more strategies. So the country ones try a couple things. It doesn't work. They go, eh, and they move on. But the city ones will, they have much more in their repertoire, um, and they are willing to spend the time to get into something. And they're really good at it. So, yeah, 80% of the urban animals got into this harder problem that I gave them. And zero of the rural animals got in. So, um, And in a simpler problem, everybody got in. So it's not like the rural animals couldn't do it. They could. But when I made the problem harder, then none of them could. So that, to me, suggests there's an issue. There's something going on there. Yeah, and it's, it's going to be interesting to, to sort of find out what you find out uh, and see if it's they simply you know are more interested in moving on to something else or um, you know is it that they are unable to do it yeah that's why I can hardly wait like I can just hardly wait <laughs> I'm just going are the babies ready yet? <laughs> are there babies somewhere because I'm using them in um, wildlife rehab centers so unfortunately uh, mm. as you know many are orphaned and so they are there anyway and they need things to do and so I'm going to give them little tasks so I can hardly wait till I get the phone call <laughs> Saying, yes, you can come. I have my tasks already and everything's ready to go. I'm very excited. Well, see, and th this is where it gets dark again because you're hoping for baby orphaned animals. Yeah, I'm not really. I'm, but I know <laughs> that they will based on, yes, based on sad experience. That will happen. Mm. But I don't need very many, so I'm hoping there's not very many. But there will be, there there will be some. Uh, and what makes raccoons so good? I mean, even, even when you give the, the rural ones the more simple task, what makes them so good at problem solving? Well, they have amazing little hands. So um, if you look at a raccoon, they're little, that's the thing about their little hands. So their hands are not primate hands, so they don't have opposable thumbs. They can't touch their thumb to all their fingers, but they can grasp really well. So if you think about a raccoon versus a coyote, that's where raccoon team raccoon wins because raccoons have those hands. Coyotes don't have that. Um, so they can sit on their giant little bums and they can 
hold something in their hands and they can manipulate it and they can figure it out. They also have um, an amazing sense of touch. So their tactile sense is far more developed than ours are, which is great for an animal that works at night and also evolved to, to find things in the water that they couldn't actually see. Um, really? Yeah, so they do it with their hands. And that you'll see them, they, they stick their hands in the water and then they stick their noses up in the air. They're not even looking anywhere near what their hands are because their hands, they see with their hands. That's their superpower. Huh. So they are an extraordinary little species that way. Um, they have good sense of smell as well too. And they're incredibly adaptable in terms of their spine. So they can, that's how they can get into your garage. Even if, even if you only leave it up like two inches, they can still, they can squish those little bums right down and get through. So they have a lot of adaptations that allow them to live really well in the city and that allow them to figure stuff out. So they use their little brains and their little hands and they got it all going. That's why Team Raccoon is the team to be on. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm, I'm still partial to coyotes. Okay. Uh, well, you've the, the, coy- the coyotes get rid of the rats. Ugh. You know what raccoons do too. Yeah, why are if, you doing this to me? Well, I, I'm trying to make okay, a case raccoon, here. Coyotes are the best. Thank you. There you go. There you go. And science says it. So science is absolutely behind you. Yep. So do they they do they predate upon rats or do they drive them out through territoriality? Both. So um, if we got so I keep trying to tell people, you know, if you want no raccoons in the city, is it the case that you want a ton of rats? Because that's what you're going to get. So I don't know many people on Team Rat. Mm. A lot of people who should be on Team Raccoon because they do keep them out and they will eat them if they if they can. They do predate on them and they also, yeah, they they drive them out. And what what other benefit is there for the city of Toronto to have raccoons? Well, they're awesome, and having wildlife means you have a good city. So you want to have wildlife in your city, I think, don't you? I no, I absolutely do. I'm just <laughs> wondering, is there uh, ecological? Uh, roles that they play that we may be unaware of? Um, well, they can. They certainly can scavenge up stuff that you don't want, so that's good. Um, you know, I don't think things have to have a reason to be there, to be there. I think what you ask what humans' reason is, well, not very good. So I don't think our reason... Reality television. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yes, what would we do without that? Um, so, you know, I, I personally think they're an indicator of a healthy city, that there's that we can have this amazing medium-bodied you know, it's a mesocarnivore, it's it's quite a large animal, um, living with us is an extraordinary thing. If we were all concrete and no green space and nothing going on, we wouldn't have anything. So it tells you we have a pretty good city or pretty good, certainly parts of the city are fantastic for raccoons. What should people be doing in regards to having raccoons around their home? Because this is, as you mentioned early on, uh, a lot of people deal with raccoons in a very negative way. Like that's their, it's, it's you either, you see them and you think they're cute or they're trying to destroy your home. Um, there are businesses that are, are making a great deal of money, uh, some very ethically, some not very ethically in helping people with these issues. Um, and the, even, you know, the city of Toronto obviously is investing a fair bit of time and money into discovering ways to prevent some of this conflict. Mm-hmm. Uh, what can people be doing, whether they're rural or urban, sort of in their own backyards, to maybe allow for that healthy ecosystem, but not necessarily encourage conflict-type behavior? Well, I think you have to look in your yard and around your house as a raccoon would see it. So if you're going to put out a pond with fish in it, imagine, if you will, being a raccoon. 
mm-hmm. and you say, oh, thank you for doing that. I really enjoy a nice fish once in a while. And they will come and take your fish and then you'll be very angry. Well, you know, let's think about that before we put our fish out there or we put our garbage out there or we leave food out overnight or we whatever we do. We have to think about it from the raccoon's perspective, that the raccoon is just waiting for you to do something like that and will thank you mightily for doing so. We have to think about, you know, do we really need to have a wood pile? No, it's it attracts rats as well. You don't want that. Do you really need to leave your garage door open? No, don't do that. Do you you should check your eaves. You should check everything. You got to make sure it there's nothing that's an attractant for wildlife, not just raccoons, but wildlife in general. It's always our fault. It's you know, whenever raccoons destroy something in my backyard, which is often, I always just curse myself because I say, well, that was stupid that I left that can of white paint out on my deck, which is what I did. And they got into it. Of course they did. Why wouldn't they get into it? They don't know that they're not supposed to get into that. So maybe it's like childproofing your house for house for toddlers. Like think about what a raccoon would be doing out there and make sure that that's not available for them. If you make your yard um, inhospitable for them, they'll go to your neighbors. And that's what you want. You want them to go to your neighbor's <laughs> yard. <laughs> you don't want- I don't think we're supposed to say it quite so directly. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, you just want them to move on and they will. It'll be okay. Just don't give them any reason to stay. Don't accidentally feed them one night because then they'll come back forever. That's what happens too. So, you know, they're smart and they'll remember and you just have to be vigilant. And if they do come, I can tell you, because um, in the city it's hard to keep them away if your neighbor is feeding them or whatever. Um, I have found that if you cut an onion in half and rub it on places you don't want them to go, it works really well. Really? Yeah. They that don't like, like onions a... at all. I really like onions, though. Well, then you'll be happy to be the one who has to rub the onions because it's not—it's a stinky job. But it really does work. They don't like it. If you see what they do when they pick through garbage, they often leave the onions behind too. They don't—they don't like them. So I—I I do that when I'm frustrated in the middle of the night and they're wrecking something in the backyard. I cut an onion and go out in my pajamas and rub an onion on things, and then they go away. So you just have to make it. Yeah, you just have to make it not so nice for them. Also, if they have a latrine in your yard. You know that raccoons do that. They have this communal latrine thing where, and if your yard happens to be the place where they're going, that's not so great. If you put aluminum foil out, that's worked really well for me. They don't like the feel of that, so they'll move on. So if you just put some aluminum foil out where they typically go, they'll move somewhere else. The ending question in your interview yeah. uh, that I want to have you reiterate, because I really enjoyed your answer, um, was the the journalist asked, you you know, how do raccoons compare to the other animals that you research? In, in regards to their, their sentience and their, their uh, problem-solving and thought processes. Um, and you mentioned that we think we are the gold standard for intelligence. Yeah. Um, why, why is that not correct? Well, <sighs> humans are just one species on the, on the earth. We are the most destructive species. We are the loudest, certainly. We make the most noise. And we we set the standards. So we are all every time someone's asked me, How smart are raccoons? I always say, Well, they're perfectly smart. They're perfectly adapted to where they evolved and they're perfectly smart. And they say, No, no. Like, are they like a three year old child? Oh, and then I hang my head and sigh. Because everybody just compares every other species to us as and we are the smartest of them all. Well, you know, we may go extinct, so we're not all that smart. But um, I would say that 
every species that's that lives is perfectly smart but raccoons if you want to give it a comparator raccoons are like monkeys so raccoons are like the monkeys of north america we have no monkeys we have no primates in north america and they fill that niche so if it helps you to think about it that way um, you might treat them with a little more respect because they're kind of our little primate our primate substitute here in north america to learn more about dr mcdonald or her work visit her website at suzannemcdonald.ca or follow the links on this week's Defender Radio blog. Please help support Defender Radio by following me on Twitter at Defender Radio and subscribing on your preferred podcast-playing website. That's it for this week, folks. Until next time, this is Michael Howie for Defender Radio reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.